Welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. Proverbs chapter 11. We'll start reading in verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Mark this next sentence, he that winneth souls is wise. As we go through the book of Proverbs, we're talking about wisdom and discretion, the path to wisdom. Solomon says, under the guidance and leading of the Holy Spirit, he that winneth souls is wise. Now go with me to Daniel chapter 12. We'll read verse 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. As I get started, you can turn back to the book of Proverbs because we'll be looking in chapter 2 about the search for wisdom. I believe this as Christians. We ought to be constantly searching for wisdom. You ought to want to be a wise maid, a wise parent, a wise church member, a wise friend, a wise employee, a wise employer. You want, you should want to have God's blessing on your life, and that comes with wisdom. It's a powerful but elusive quality that too often is rarely found in the average Christian. The book of Proverbs emphasizes wisdom, mentioning that word 41 times throughout the book. You can define wisdom as a skill in living, following God's design, and avoiding moral pitfalls. Now, we're talking about a heavenly wisdom. Let me make this very clear, because this world has its own wisdom. Sounds good, but extremely foolish in nature that does not come with God's blessing or protection. This heavenly wisdom teaches us skills for godly living and thankfully serves as a guide for earthly living. And here's what we all need, a blessed life. Nothing like the umbrella and protection that is wisdom. Now, here's what you can do. Most of us learned lessons in life, and we learned wisdom through experience, but God would actually like to speed up that process because God would love to give us wisdom even before we go through the experience. Look what he tells us to do in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge... That's desperation. When you're crying out, seeking for her as silver and searching for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find, here's what we all ought to desire and pursue, then shalt thou find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Who's the source of wisdom? Now let me ask you this, because even in our Christian environment, too often we have Christians that are seeking for wisdom in the wrong places from the wrong sources and we actually have young people who think that in a public institution there's some wisdom there that they can glean, that they can gain that will help them on some level be a better servant of God. Nothing would be more foolish because worldly wisdom attacks this book and everything about this book and the principles and the very nature of this book will undermine their faith and destroy their belief in God. Why would I go to a fool to seek wisdom? Because the Bible says, the fool hath said in his heart there is no God. You put yourself under an instructor that teaches or believes that, you're putting yourself at the feet of a fool. Proverbs 1 said, blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth not in the seat. Listen, you sit in the seat of the scorner, you are guaranteed to begin to believe and accept 
their thought process, and their teachings. And here's what we want. We simply want a Christian to understand the source of wisdom is God. Look what it says in verse 6. For the Lord giveth wisdom. You go seeking in the wrong place of young people, I'm all for reading books. But this book is where God gives wisdom and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And here's what happens. Too many kids look for wisdom or seek wisdom or don't even seek it at all and put themselves in a bad spot. God wants every single one of these young people to live a very prudent and wise life, and you can't do that outside of this book. First thing as a parent, you need to teach them to look in the right places. Years ago, when we used to play hide-and-go-seek, we would take turns, and each member of the family would have to go seek after everyone was hidden. And Brittany, in those first few times that we played the game, she was three or four years old, and she'd come downstairs, and she'd immediately go to the kitchen and begin opening the drawers, looking for her brothers and sisters. And I'd say, Brittany, there's no possible way Christopher could be hiding in that drawer. You're looking in the wrong spot. And when we're seeking for wisdom in this world, when you've got God's wisdom written right here in 66 books and refuse to read it, you're refusing wisdom. Now, here's the point I want to make tonight because back there in Proverbs 11.30, God told us something about wisdom. Proverbs, it says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Did you get that? He that winneth souls is wise. Not a lot of us like to think that we are wise, but God says someone that has true wisdom, biblical wisdom, is a soul winner. It's impossible to be a soul winner without wisdom. It takes a lot of wisdom to be able to reach someone with a different mindset, to be able to go through the Bible, to address the fact that they're a sinner, to be able to get them to the point where they understand their need of a Savior, that takes a lot of wisdom. Now, let me ask you this. Could you find a Bible example of someone that was more wise than the Lord Jesus Christ? How was his life spent? Everything he did was passionately consumed with one purpose in mind, and that was the salvation of a lost and dying world. Luke 19.10 says... He came to seek to save that which was lost. That's you. That's me. That's wisdom. We're not talking about ability. I know in the eyes of this world, someone may look like a fool, but God says, he that winneth souls is wise. I truly believe that the Lord Jesus Christ came down here tonight and said, Adam, I want you to move out of the way. I'm going to take over as the pastor, as the new leader of this church. His presence would be extremely disruptive. And although everyone at first would jump on board and everyone would be excited and everyone would say, wow, look at how privileged we are. We get the Lord Jesus Christ as our pastor. This is phenomenal. This is unbelievable. This is what we've been waiting for. Now, you think there were drastic changes when Adam Thompson took over as pastor. Can you imagine how disruptive it would be to have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life setting the rules for your church? It would be disruptive because of our habits. It would disrupt our schedules, our friendships. Because if you study the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, you understand everything that he did. His forerunner was John the Baptist. What was John the Baptist? An evangelist that came preaching repentance. Probably the greatest prophet in the history of Israel. Multitudes were saved. But Christ said, you know what I want the preparation to be? Pointing people to the Lamb of God. And then when he came onto the scene, what was the Lord Jesus Christ all about? Yes, he came preaching the gospel. But as soon as he came preaching the gospel, as soon as he had gathered some converts, as soon as he got a few disciples together, then he began to personally train them to do what? 
to win souls. So all of his investment in them was to reproduce himself before he left this earth. And he told them, listen, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew 4, 19. And they followed him and they became fishers of men. Now look at the Lord Jesus Christ. And we won't talk about every example tonight because there are too many to count, too numerous to go through in our short time frame, but you could talk about the woman at the well and how he took personal time with her. What a loving touch. What a patient Savior. Oh, though very direct, very compassionate, very personal, always drawing men into a public confession of their faith. But he took with this woman, he dealt with her sin and led her to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. People from all walks of life, we see him dealing with the maniac of Gadara, someone that we would have shied away from. We probably would have got on that boat and gone a different direction, but not the Lord Jesus Christ. Took time out of his busy schedule to personally deal with a crazy man. Saw him miraculously born again. Blind Bartimaeus out there begging. And the Lord stops. He's busy. He's traveling. He has a million other things he can do. But he stops. Not only heals his body, but heals his soul, forgives his sin, offers him eternal life. Even in his death, unconcerned about himself, although he'd taken upon himself the sins of all mankind, we see him dealing with that penitent sinner, the thief that's being crucified beside him, and leads him to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The passion of the Lord Jesus Christ for souls. Now, here's what we don't like, because in the Christian realm, we don't like passion. The world's passionate. The world's passionate about what they do. Now, we're talking about the Olympics. Did you know you take someone, for an example, a gymnast, and they take their kids down there to the gym, pay an incredible amount of money. It changes their entire schedule, even their schooling. And from the time that child is three or four years old until the time that child is 16, hopefully at that point they can get them into some higher level of competition, maybe the Olympics, but their whole life revolves around and is dedicated to, that includes their diet, their schedule, their friendships, their entire life is dictated by gymnastics. And we applaud that. But if someone's a Christian and dedicates a Saturday morning two hours out of their schedule, that's excessive. Or gives their tithe or invests in the work of the Lord. You're not embarrassed by someone that wears a company shirt outside of their place of business, but you're embarrassed by someone who wears a T-shirt with a Bible verse on the back. You're not embarrassed by a silly bumper sticker being placed on the back of your car, but you're embarrassed with someone placing John 3.16 on the back of your vehicle. Listen, we don't like someone who is passionate about souls. That in this society is very embarrassing to us. And if we happen to go out, whether it's door knocking or out on the streets or anywhere in public, oh, inside the house of God, if you want to raise your hand and shout hallelujah and praise the Lord and say you love Jesus, that's fine. I'm okay with that. But once we step outside of these doors, can you please tune it down? Make it a little bit quieter. Don't embarrass me by identifying you or me with the Lord Jesus Christ. Just the very fact that someone would pull a gospel track out of their pocket when you're standing at a grocery line and actually say, listen, if you're going to leave the track, just quietly put it on the counter and let's walk away. But please don't say anything that would audibly identify us with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you don't have a problem if someone is with you and they say, hey, I go to this school, I work for this company, you walk around with a shirt that says Stream Realty or any other company and wear it night and day anywhere they send you with no sense of embarrassment. But if you have a shirt that identifies you with Christ or the church, you want to make sure you have another one to change into in your vehicle. 
He that winneth souls is wise. Oh, he may not look very impressive. He may cause you some embarrassment, but here's what God says. If you want to know the wise man, if you want to be able to identify the wise man, the wise man is a soul winner. You know why he's wise? There's wisdom in following the pattern and the life habits of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you examine his life, you examine someone that is passionate. And here's what we do. If it's a football player that's passionate, we admire that. You know why so many people right now, those of you that follow basketball, and they're playing for the championship, and you say, well, you know, I don't really care for LeBron James because in the years past when he's been in the finals, he hasn't shown a lot of passion. That's the next word that comes out of their mouth. He's the best in the world. Why can't he just show a little bit more passion? But if you get passionate for the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone else that wants passion out of a soccer player or a football star or a baseball star, they want passion during the Olympics. They want passion during the regular season. They want passion on the basketball court. But if you're a Christian with passion, you're extreme. You're outrageous. So you know what we've done? We've allowed this world to intimidate us into not showing any level of passion, even if you do go sowing, you're making sure to stay extremely careful, cautious, quiet. Can you imagine a salesman coming to your door with that level of passion? He that winneth souls is wise. Boy, you look, I don't care if it's inside the pages of this book or outside the examples that we've seen. Rick Martin, one of the wisest people I know, thousands and thousands of souls have been saved as a result of his work and his labor and uh, those that have gone through his Bible college and the churches that he started. Travis Lewis is a wise, wise person. James Hoffmeister. How many people can fit in this category? Because they've dedicated their life to the salvation of souls. And let me ask you this. How little of your life is actually spent in this effort? He that winneth souls is wise. And here's what we think. He that worketh in a ministry is wise. That's not what God says. God says he that winneth souls is wise. He that is faithful to church, and I'm all for being faithful to church, you know that. I'm not trying to undermine that, which is good. But we are confused in the fact, listen, we excuse our lack of soul winning with everything else that we're doing and trying to convince ourselves that we're wise and spiritual without ever lifting a finger or saying a word there is wisdom that is found in winning souls. There's the wisdom of obeying the Word of God. Now, let me ask you this. Can you say you are obedient to this book and not be a soul winner? Is that even a possibility? It's found in every book of the New Testament. I don't care if you go to the Great Commission and those are the verses that are most often used and quoted. We know that we're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we know Acts 1.8, after this, the Holy Ghost. Listen, you're going to receive the power of the Holy Ghost and become what? Witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. We know all that. But it's found in so many other places. So many examples. Paul and the other disciples, Barnabas and the Lord Jesus Christ. But the command is there for us not to obey this book is a lack of wisdom. And here's what God is trying to tell us. If you want to reach wisdom, a biblical wisdom, a heavenly wisdom, here's what's going to happen. The natural result is going to be you're going to be a soul winner. He that winneth souls... That's identification of a wise person. It's not what you have in your bank account. It's not the car you purchase. It's not because you managed to buy in the right section of town and now your house became a good investment and you're going to make a lot of money off the sale because of your neighborhood. That's what we consider wisdom. God says, he that winneth souls is 
wise. Listen, I am all for ministries in the church, and I'm all for the family, but here's what we've done. We've overemphasized certain things in our life, and all of a sudden we've become all about our family to the exclusion of a lost and dying world. We've become all about our ministry to the exclusion of a lost and dying world. The Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise. When a pastor has to have an event and pump us up just to get us refocused on souls, there's an issue. Listen, if during a week like this, if during vacation Bible school, when the harvest is brought to us, when you have young people who are looking for the truth, sitting in this kind of environment, you're given the opportunity one-on-one to take the Bible, open it up, Take them through the gospel. Show them their lost condition, their need for a Savior, and the fact that simply by putting their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, by repenting of their sins, they can go to heaven. When we don't take advantage of that opportunity, where are we at? What is our spiritual condition when we are given the opportunity to participate in the harvest and we want to avoid that moment? What is our spiritual level What is our spiritual condition? When the harvest is there, you don't even have to do the planting. You don't have to do the sowing. You don't have to do the watering. We're saying all of that has been done for you. Come at this time and do the reaping. We we don't have time for the inconvenience of souls. It's too much of an inconvenience for our schedules our lives in general. I can't have someone, some soul interrupt my day. A track in my pocket is uncomfortable. He that winneth souls is wise. It's the wisdom of obeying a Bible command. It's the wisdom of living submitted to the Holy Spirit. You know what we're supposed to do as Christians? Aren't we supposed to live submitted to the Holy Spirit? Aren't we supposed to live tuned in to the Holy Spirit? How many are in agreement with that tonight? I would say, I believe that there's a Bible command and the Holy Spirit wants to be actively working my life. And when he is working my life, I'm supposed to be actively listening to and submitting to him on a daily basis. And let me ask you this. Do you think there's a day or a week or a month that goes by that the Holy Spirit is with you and says, well, there's no souls today that you need to influence. There's no one this week that you need to talk to. You know what, this month, take a break, go on vacation, because spiritually speaking, there's no one that you're going to encounter. There's no one that you're going to run across. There's no one that you're going to meet or contact during the course of your day, during the course of your month, that you'll need to get the gospel to. So don't worry about it. You have a wrong opinion of the Holy Spirit. You don't know the Holy Spirit of this book. Because the Holy Spirit is soul conscious. And every single day, he's trying to hook you up with a sinner. The problem is not the sinner that's seeking. The problem is the soul winner that's paying attention to the Holy Ghost. Here's why the soul winner is wise, because the soul winner's tuned into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, literally, every breath, every movement is about a lost and dying world and trying to get things into place, circumstances, and people in everything he's pushing towards a moment where he can get that sinner to admit his condition and confess with his mouth, get born again. But here's what he needs. People in tune. You say, preacher, I can't preach to 100. What if you just preach to one? What if you dealt with someone on an individual basis because that's how people get saved anyway? So what if you went out of your way? What if you stepped out of your world of selfishness? What if you got beyond your own self and said for one day, one moment, one hour, I'm going to put me back here and them and their soul in first priority, first place. He that winneth souls is... You know why? There's a wisdom in focusing on the eternal. And let me ask you about your day. Okay, from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed, you focused on your coffee, your breakfast, how your eggs were cooked, the traffic that you got stuck in, the way you were spoken to at work, the lunch that you didn't like, the restaurant you went to, the people you were surrounded by, the heat of the Texas summer, 
and you get home and dinner's not done and the kids are too loud and you're upset and your team just lost, then you wake up tomorrow and do it all over again. And before you know it, you've actually done that for 20 years. Let me ask you this. Your focus is laundry. Did you know you get to do that next week? And just about the time you finish, it's all undone anyways. Did you know you really never accomplish anything by doing laundry? I, if I were you, I'd stop doing it. You sweep the floor, and 30 minutes later, you got to sweep it again. And you go to work, and you do the same thing, and tomorrow everything you did has to be reaccomplished. That's why you, they want you there. Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, because all that you did on Monday doesn't count on Tuesday. you got to redo it the next day. Now you tell me what you did yesterday or Friday or this last week or this last month that was lasting on any level. Then you're going to get to your 60th birthday, and you're going to try to get out a fire hose to put out those candles on your cake. You're going to lean back in your chair and say... I'm three-quarters of the way through. Let me see. Six months, we pay off our mortgage. And uh, he that winneth souls. We get caught up in so many things that aren't even wise. We get caught up in sports and about the time we're 42 and we've got muscle tear or knee replacement or physical ache or pain. We say, boy, the sports weren't very wise. We have a heart attack, the 56, and high blood pressure, and cholesterol that's out of this world. And we realized our diet wasn't very wise. So in the end, we're just looking at ourselves and saying, well, I guess I should have taken more wise pills. If we don't win souls, at some point in our life, we're going to look back at what we did and say, wow, that's it? If it weren't for souls, I would look back on the past 41 years and say, good night, what did I do? What did I do with my life? The only thing that brings me joy, the only thing that brings me comfort, the only thing that brings me great enthusiasm is looking back in one of our uh, disciples Alejandro is the best soul winner that I've ever met on any level, any church, anywhere. I'm not talking about professions of faith. I'm talking about disciples and converts baptized in church serving the Lord. Now, it brings me great joy to know that those that we have seen saved and discipled and trained are winning souls. It's nice to know the churches that we've planted are holding VBSs, participating in camps, and doing the work of the Lord. And that tree, the fruit of the righteous, is a tree of life. And it's good to see that tree continue to grow. And that tree, listen, you don't plant a tree and have it produce fruit in six months or two years. It takes time for that tree to grow. And it takes a lot of care and a lot of attention, but over time, it starts to produce a lot of fruit, and that fruit begins to multiply. Here's what we do. Most of us stop sowing before we ever see any fruit. We sow a little bit, we quit. Because we want to break the laws of nature and sow and reap three days later. It takes a lot of sowing, a lot of sowing, a lot of sowing. Then you get a few converts and it takes a lot of discipling, a lot of sowing. And here's what we're doing as a church body. As a church, we're trying to plant, we're trying to water. Listen, participate in the watering, participate in the sowing, participate in the harvest, but just get to the point where you are participating. He that winneth souls is wise. Church, how can we consider ourselves wise when we get busy doing so many other things? Let me ask you this. Some of you have tried to win souls. Can you go out and act indiscreetly and win souls? Can you go out and speak imprudently and win souls? 
You know what it takes to win a soul? Okay, you have someone that's a Mormon, a Buddhist, Jehovah Witness, Catholic. All their life they've believed something that was incorrect, doctrinally wrong. They believe there was no hell. They believe that by being a good person, they get to heaven. So you're going to sit down and get them through the gospel and lead them to Christ. Can you do that lacking wisdom? So you know what we do? We go lacking wisdom and become frustrated. Instead of growing in wisdom, we simply throw in the towel and say, I'm incapable, I just can't do it. I don't have the personality. I never developed the gift. That's not it. The point is wisdom. He that winneth souls is wise unless you grow in wisdom and develop a focus and get determined and become committed and say, my life, my focus, my purpose has to be about souls. Look what it says in John 15, 7. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. How is the Heavenly Father glorified? What's it saying? That ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Go back to verse 4, and it tells you the key to bearing fruit. Abide in me, and I in you. It's the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Without me, ye can do nothing. Here's the wisdom of winning souls. It's the wisdom of abiding in Christ. It's a wisdom that produces fruit. It's a wisdom of living submitted to the Holy Spirit. It's a wisdom of snatching people from the flames. It's a wisdom of following the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. Too often we live without purpose. And Satan says, just be occupied in something. Just get busy, and I'm not against the busyness of Cap City. Just be committed to something, and I'm not against the commitment. But the bottom line is this. Our focus constantly, why is it that you don't lose focus in your ministry? Why is it that you don't lose fo focus on your family? Why is it that you don't lose focus on making money? You know where you lose focus? Winning souls. He that winneth souls is wise. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org. Welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. Proverbs chapter 11. We'll start reading at verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Mark this next sentence, he that winneth souls is wise. So we go through the book of Proverbs. We're talking about wisdom and discretion, the path to wisdom. Solomon says, under the guidance and leading of the Holy Spirit, he that winneth souls is wise. Now go with me to Daniel chapter 12. We'll read verse 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. As I get started, you can turn back to the book of Proverbs because we'll be looking in chapter 2. 
about the search for wisdom, I believe this as Christians, we ought to be constantly searching for wisdom. You ought to want to be a wise maid, a wise parent, a wise church member, a wise friend, a wise employee, a wise employer. You want, you should want to have God's blessing on your life, and that comes with wisdom. It's a powerful but elusive quality that too often is rarely found in the average Christian. The book of Proverbs emphasizes wisdom, mentioning that word 41 times throughout the book. You can define wisdom as a skill in living, following God's design, and avoiding moral pitfalls. Now, we're talking about a heavenly wisdom. Let me make this very clear. Because this world has its own wisdom. Sounds good, but extremely foolish in nature that does not come with God's blessing or protection. This heavenly wisdom teaches us skills for godly living and thankfully serves as a guide for earthly living. And here's what we all need. A blessed life. Nothing like the umbrella and protection that is wisdom. Now here's what you can do. Most of us learned lessons in life and we learned wisdom through experience, but God would actually like to speed up that process because God would love to give us wisdom even before we go through the experience. Look what he tells us to do in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge. That's desperation. When you're crying out, seeking for her as silver, and searching for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find, here's what we all ought to desire and pursue, then shalt thou find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Who's the source of wisdom? Now let me ask you this, because even in our Christian environment, too often we have Christians that are seeking for wisdom in the wrong places, from the wrong sources, and we actually have young people who think, that in a public institution, there's some wisdom there that they can glean, that they can gain, that will help them on some level be a better servant of God. Nothing would be more foolish because worldly wisdom attacks this book and everything about this book and the principles and the very nature of this book will undermine their faith and destroy their belief in God. Why would I go to a fool to seek wisdom? Because the Bible says, the fool hath said in his heart there is no God. You put yourself under an instructor that teaches or believes that, you're putting yourself at the feet of a fool. Proverbs 1 said, Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth not in the seat. Listen, you sit in the seat of the scorner, you are guaranteed to begin to believe and accept their thought process and their teachings. And here's what we want. We simply want a Christian to understand the source of wisdom is God. Look what it says in verse 6. For the Lord giveth wisdom. You go seeking in the wrong place of young people, I'm all for reading books. But this book is where God gives wisdom and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And here's what happens. Too many kids look for wisdom or seek wisdom or don't even seek it at all and put themselves in a bad spot. God wants every single one of these young people to live a very prudent and wise life. And you can't do that outside of this book. First thing as a parent, you need to teach them to look in the right places. Years ago, when we used to play hide-and-go-seek, we would take turns, and each member of the family would have to go seek after everyone was hidden. And Brittany, in those first few times that we played the game, she was three or four years old, and she'd come downstairs, and she'd immediately go to the kitchen and begin opening the drawers 
looking for her brothers and sisters. And I'd say, Brittany, there's no possible way Christopher could be hiding in that drawer. You're looking in the wrong spot. When we're seeking for wisdom in this world, when you've got God's wisdom written right here in 66 books and refuse to read it, you're refusing wisdom. Now, here's the point I want to make tonight because back there in Proverbs 11.30, God told us something about wisdom. Proverbs, it says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Did you get that? He that winneth souls is wise. Not a lot of us like to think that we are wise, but God says someone that has true wisdom, biblical wisdom, is a soul winner. It's impossible to be a soul winner without wisdom. It takes a lot of wisdom to be able to reach someone with a different mindset, to be able to go through the Bible, to address the fact that they're a sinner, to be able to get them to the point where they understand their need of a Savior, that takes a lot of wisdom. Now, let me ask you this. Could you find a Bible example of someone that was more wise than the Lord Jesus Christ? How was his life spent? Everything he did was passionately consumed with one purpose in mind, and that was the salvation of a lost and dying world. Luke 19.10 says... He came to seek to save that which was lost. That's you. That's me. That's wisdom. We're not talking about ability. I know in the eyes of this world, someone may look like a fool, but God says, he that winneth souls is wise. I truly believe that the Lord Jesus Christ came down here tonight and said, Adam, I want you to move out of the way. I'm going to take over as the pastor, as the new leader of this church. His presence would be extremely disruptive. And although everyone at first would jump on board and everyone would be excited and everyone would say, wow, look at how privileged we are. We get the Lord Jesus Christ as our pastor. This is phenomenal. This is unbelievable. This is what we've been waiting for. Now, you think there were drastic changes when Adam Thompson took over as pastor. Can you imagine how disruptive it would be to have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life setting the rules for your church? It would be disruptive because of our habits. It would disrupt our schedules, our friendships. Because if you study the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, you understand everything that he did. His forerunner was John the Baptist. What was John the Baptist? An evangelist that came preaching repentance. Probably the greatest prophet in the history of Israel. Multitudes were saved. But Christ said, you know what I want the preparation to be? Pointing people to the Lamb of God. And then when he came on the scene, what was the Lord Jesus Christ all about? Yes, he came preaching the gospel. But as soon as he came preaching the gospel, as soon as he had gathered some converts, as soon as he got a few disciples together, then he began to personally train them to do what? To win souls. So all of his investment in them was to reproduce himself before he left this earth. And he told them, listen, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew 4, 19. And they followed him and they became fishers of men. Now look at the Lord Jesus Christ. And we won't talk about every example tonight because there are too many to count, too numerous to go through in our short time frame, but you could talk about the woman at the well and how he took personal time with her. What a loving touch. What a patient Savior. Oh, though very direct, very compassionate, very personal, always drawing men into a public confession of their faith. But he took with this woman, he dealt with her sin and led her to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. People from all walks of life, we see him dealing with the maniac of Kadera, someone that we would have shied away from. We probably would have got on that boat and gone a different direction, but not the Lord Jesus Christ. Took time out of his busy schedule to personally deal with a crazy man. 
saw him miraculously born again, blind Bartimaeus, out there begging. And the Lord stops. He's busy. He's traveling. He has a million other things he can do. But he stops. Not only heals his body, but heals his soul, forgives his sin, offers him eternal life. Even in his death, unconcerned about himself, although he'd taken upon himself the sins of all mankind, we see him dealing with that penitent sinner, the thief that's being crucified beside him, and leads him to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The passion of the Lord Jesus Christ for souls. Now, here's what we don't like, because in the Christian realm, we don't like passion. The world's passionate. The world's passionate about what they do. Now, we're talking about the Olympics. Did you know you take someone, for an example, a gymnast, and they take their kids down there to the gym, pay an incredible amount of money, it changes their entire schedule, even their schooling, and from the time that child is three or four years old until the time that child is 16, hopefully at that point they can get them into some higher level of competition, maybe the Olympics, but their whole life revolves around and is dedicated to, that includes their diet, their schedule, their friendships, their entire life is dictated by gymnastics. And we applaud that. But if someone's a Christian and dedicates a Saturday morning two hours out of their schedule, that's excessive. Or gives their tithe or invests in the work of the Lord. You're not embarrassed by someone that wears a company shirt outside of their place of business, but you're embarrassed by someone who wears a T-shirt with a Bible verse on the back. You're not embarrassed by a silly bumper sticker being placed on the back of your car, but you're embarrassed with someone placing John 3.16 on the back of your vehicle. Listen, we don't like someone who is passionate about souls. That in this society is very embarrassing to us. And if we happen to go out, whether it's door knocking or out on the streets or anywhere in public, oh, inside the house of God, if you want to raise your hand and shout hallelujah and praise the Lord and say you love Jesus, that's fine. I'm okay with that. But once we step outside of these doors, can you please tune it down? Make it a little bit quieter. Don't embarrass me by identifying you or me with the Lord Jesus Christ. Just the very fact that someone would pull a gospel tract out of their pocket when you're standing at a grocery line and actually say, listen, if you're going to leave the tract, just quietly put it on the counter and let's walk away. But please don't say anything that would audibly identify us with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you don't have a problem if someone is with you and they say, hey, I go to this school, I work for this company, you walk around with a shirt that says Stream Realty or any other company and wear it night and day anywhere they send you with no sense of embarrassment. But if you have a shirt that identifies you with Christ or the church, you want to make sure you have another one to change into in your vehicle. He that winneth souls is wise. Oh, he may not look very impressive. He may cause you some embarrassment, but here's what God says. If you want to know the wise man, if you want to be able to identify the wise man, the wise man is a soul winner. You know why he's wise? There's wisdom in following the pattern and the life habits of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you examine his life, you examine someone that is passionate. And here's what we do. If it's a football player that's passionate, we admire that. You know why so many people right now, those of you that follow basketball, and they're playing for the championship, and you say, well, you know, I don't really care for LeBron James because in the years past when he's been in the finals, he hasn't shown a lot of passion. That's the next word that comes out of their mouth. He's the best in the world. Why can't he just show a little bit more passion? 
But if you get passionate for the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone else that wants passion out of a soccer player or a football star or a baseball star, they want passion during the Olympics. They want passion during the regular season. They want passion on the basketball court. But if you're a Christian with passion, you're extreme. You're outrageous. So you know what we've done? We've allowed this world to intimidate us into not showing any level of passion, even if you do go sowing, you're making sure to stay extremely careful, cautious, quiet. Can you imagine a salesman coming to your door with that level of passion? He that winneth souls is wise. Boy, you look, I don't care if it's inside the pages of this book or outside the examples that we've seen. Rick Martin, one of the wisest people I know, thousands and thousands of souls have been saved as a result of his work and his labor and uh, those that have gone through his Bible college and the churches that he started. Travis Lewis is a wise, wise person. James Hoffmeister. How many people can fit in this category? Because they've dedicated their life to the salvation of souls. And let me ask you this. How little of your life is actually spent in this effort? He that winneth souls is wise. And here's what we think. He that worketh in a ministry is wise. That's not what God says. God says he that winneth souls is wise. He that is faithful to church, and I'm all for being faithful to church, you know that. I'm not trying to undermine that, which is good. But we are confused in the fact, listen, we excuse our lack of soul winning with everything else that we're doing and trying to convince ourselves that we're wise and spiritual without ever lifting a finger or saying a word there is wisdom that is found in winning souls. There's the wisdom of obeying the Word of God. Now, let me ask you this. Can you say you are obedient to this book and not be a soul winner? Is that even a possibility? It's found in every book of the New Testament. I don't care if you go to the Great Commission and those are the verses that are most often used and quoted. We know that we're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we know Acts 1.8, after this, the Holy Ghost. Listen, you're going to receive the power of the Holy Ghost and become what? Witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. We know all that. But it's found in so many other places. So many examples Paul and the other disciples, Barnabas and the Lord Jesus Christ. But the command is there for us not to obey this book is a lack of wisdom. And here's what God is trying to tell us. If you want to reach wisdom, a biblical wisdom, a heavenly wisdom, here's what's going to happen. The natural result is going to be you're going to be a soul winner. He that winneth souls, that's identification of a wise person. It's not what you have in your bank account. It's not the car you purchase. It's not because you managed to buy in the right section of town and now your house became a good investment and you're going to make a lot of money off the sale because of your neighborhood. That's what we consider wisdom. God says, he that winneth souls is wise. And listen, I am all for ministries in the church, and I'm all for the family, but here's what we've done. We've overemphasized certain things in our life, and all of a sudden we become all about our family to the exclusion of a lost and dying world. We become all about our ministry to the exclusion of a lost and dying world. The Bible says, He that winneth souls is wise. When a pastor has to have an event and pump us up, just to get us refocused on souls, there's an issue. Listen, if during a week like this, if during vacation Bible school, when the harvest is brought to us, when you have young people who are looking for the truth, sitting in this kind of environment, you're given the opportunity one-on-one -on -one to take the Bible, open it up, take them through the gospel, show them their lost condition, their need for a Savior, and the fact that simply by putting their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
by repenting of their sins, they can go to heaven. When we don't take advantage of that opportunity, where are we at? What is our spiritual condition when we are given the opportunity to participate in the harvest and we want to avoid that moment? What is our spiritual level? What is our spiritual condition? When the harvest is there, you don't even have to do the planning. You don't have to do the sowing. You don't have to do the watering. We're saying all of that has been done for you. Come at this time and do the reaping. We, we don't have time for the inconvenience of souls. It's too much of an inconvenience. Our schedules, our lives in general. I can't have someone, some soul interrupt my day. A track in my pocket is uncomfortable. He that winneth souls is wise. It's the wisdom of obeying a Bible command. It's the wisdom of living submitted to the Holy Spirit. You know what we're supposed to do as Christians? Aren't we supposed to live submitted to the Holy Spirit? Aren't we supposed to live tuned in to the Holy Spirit? How many are in agreement with that tonight? I would say, I believe that there's a Bible command and the Holy Spirit wants to be actively working my life. And when he is working my life, I'm supposed to be actively listening to and submitting to him on a daily basis. And let me ask you this. Do you think there's a day or a week or a month that goes by that the Holy Spirit is with you and says, oh, there's no souls today that you need to influence. There's no one this week that you need to talk to. You know what, this month, take a break, go on vacation, because spiritually speaking, there's no one that you're going to encounter. There's no one that you're going to run across. There's no one that you're going to meet or contact during the course of your day, during the course of your month, that you'll need to get the gospel to. So don't worry about it. You have a wrong opinion of the Holy Spirit. You don't know the Holy Spirit of this book because the Holy Spirit is soul conscious. And every single day, he's trying to hook you up with a sinner. The problem is not the sinner that's seeking. The problem is the soul winner that's paying attention to the Holy Ghost. Here's why the soul winner is wise, because the soul winner's tuned into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, literally, every breath, every movement is about a lost and dying world and trying to get things into place, circumstances, and people in everything he's pushing towards a moment where he can get that sinner to admit his condition and confess with his mouth, get born again. But here's what he needs. People in tune. You say, preacher, I can't preach to 100. What if you just preach to one? What if you dealt with someone on an individual basis because that's how people get saved anyway? So what if you went out of your way? What if you stepped out of your world of selfishness? What if you got beyond your own self and said for one day, one moment, one hour, I'm going to put me back here and them and their soul in first priority, first place. He that winneth souls is... You know why? There's a wisdom in focusing on the eternal. And let me ask you about your day. Okay, from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed, you focused on your coffee, your breakfast, how your eggs were cooked, the traffic that you got stuck in, the way you were spoken to at work, the lunch that you didn't like, the restaurant you went to, the people you were surrounded by, the heat of the Texas summer, and you get home and dinner's not done and the kids are too loud and you're upset and your team just lost then you wake up tomorrow and do it all over again and before you know you've actually done that for 20 years let me ask you this your focus is laundry did you know you get to do that next week and just about the time you finish it's all undone anyways did you know you really never accomplish anything by doing laundry? I, if I were you, I'd stop doing it. You sweep the floor, and 30 minutes later, you got to sweep it again. And you go to work, and you do the same thing, and tomorrow everything you did has to be reaccomplished. That's why you, they want you there Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, because all that you did on Monday doesn't count on Tuesday. you got to redo it the next day. Now you tell me what you did 
yesterday or Friday or this last week or this last month that was lasting on any level. Then you're going to get to your 60th birthday and you're going to try to get out a fire hose to put out those candles on your cake. You're going to lean back in your chair and say, I'm three quarters of the way through. Let me see. Six months, we pay off our mortgage. And uh, he that winneth souls. We get caught up in so many things that aren't even wise. We get caught up in sports and about the time we're 42 and we've got muscle tear or knee replacement or physical ache or pain. We say, boy, sports weren't very wise. We have a heart attack, 56, and high blood pressure and cholesterol that's out of this world. And we realized our diet wasn't very wise. So in the end, we're just looking at ourselves and saying, well, I guess I should have taken more wise pills. If we don't win souls, at some point in our life, we're going to look back at what we did and say, wow, that's it? If it weren't for souls, I would look back on the past 41 years and say, good night, what did I do? What did I do with my life? The only thing that brings me joy, the only thing that brings me comfort, the only thing that brings me great enthusiasm is looking back in one of our uh, disciples. Alejandro is the best soul winner that I've ever met on any level, any church, anywhere. I'm not talking about professions of faith. I'm talking about disciples and converts baptized in church serving the Lord. Now, it brings me great joy to know that those that we have seen saved and discipled and trained are winning souls. It's nice to know the churches that we've planted are holding VBS is participating in camps and doing the work of the Lord. And that tree, the fruit of the righteous, is a tree of life. And it's good to see that tree continue to grow. And that tree, listen, you don't plant a tree and have it produce fruit in six months or two years. It takes time for that tree to grow. And it takes a lot of care and a lot of attention. But over time, it starts to produce a lot of fruit. And that fruit begins to multiply. Here's what we do. Most of us stop sowing before we ever see any fruit. We sow a little bit, we quit. Because we want to break the laws of nature and sow and reap three days later. It takes a lot of sowing. A lot of sowing. A lot of sowing. Then you get a few converts and it takes a lot of discipling, a lot of sowing. And here's what we're doing as a church body. As a church, we're trying to plant, we're trying to water. Listen, participate in the watering, participate in the sowing, participate in the harvest, but just get to the point where you are participating. He that winneth souls is wise. Church, how can we consider ourselves wise when we get busy doing so many other things? Let me ask you this. Some of you have tried to win souls. Can you go out and act indiscreetly and win souls? Can you go out and speak imprudently and win souls? You know what it takes to win a soul? Okay, you have someone that's a Mormon, a Buddhist, Jehovah Witness, Catholic, all their life they've believed something that was incorrect, doctrinally wrong. They believe there was no hell. They believe that by being a good person, they get to heaven. So you're going to sit down and get them through the gospel and lead them to Christ. Can you do that lacking wisdom? So you know what we do? We go lacking wisdom and become frustrated. Instead of growing in wisdom, we simply throw in the towel and say, I'm incapable, I just can't do it. I don't have the personality. I never developed the gift. That's not it. The point is wisdom. He that winneth souls is wise unless you grow in wisdom and develop a focus and get determined and become committed and say, 
my life, my focus, my purpose has to be about souls. Look what it says in John 15, 7. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. How is the Heavenly Father glorified? What's it saying? That ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Go back to verse 4, and it tells you the key to bearing fruit. Abide in me, and I in you. It's the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Without me, ye can do nothing. Here's the wisdom of winning souls. It's the wisdom of abiding in Christ. It's a wisdom that produces fruit. It's a wisdom of living submitted to the Holy Spirit. It's a wisdom of snatching people from the flames. It's a wisdom of following the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. Too often we live without purpose. And Satan says, just be occupied in something. Just get busy. And I'm not against the busyness of Cap City. Just be committed to something, and I'm not against the commitment. But the bottom line is this. Our focus constantly, why is it that you don't lose focus in your ministry? Why is it that you don't lose focus on your family? Why is it that you don't lose focus on making money? You know where you lose focus? Winning souls. He that winneth souls is wise. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.